Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Dan Rogers at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to church. As always, it's just a blessing to be here with you guys this morning. We're going to pick up where we left off last week as we head into week two of our series, Heart of Kings. And this morning, uh, we're going to narrow in on the life of Solomon. You know, if we were to do a survey, so we spent a couple of hours wandering around Garden City asking people who they believe to be the wisest person that's ever lived, I think we'd get a fair few different responses. Maybe some people would say Gandhi. Or Nelson Mandela, or if they were an Apple fan, maybe they'd say Steve Jobs, he made a lot of money. Surely that makes him wise, right? Or if they were into philosophy, maybe they'd say Socrates. I think a fair few people would actually say that, you know what? I think Socrates is the wisest man who's ever lived. Well, there's a story about Socrates. You see, Socrates um, told people that an oracle had actually told him that he was, in fact, the wisest man on the face of the planet. And being the humble man that he is, he didn't believe it. He was incredulous. So he decided to wander the streets of Athens and to seek out the various people that he considered to be wise. And what he found as he sat down and talked to these people that he respected greatly was that yes, they really did believe they were incredibly wise. And the problem with that is that Socrates could see that actually they were ignorant of all kinds of things. And so as he sat down, as he talked to these so-called wise people, he came to the conclusion, yes, I am in fact the wisest man on the face of the planet. Because unlike all of them, I acknowledge my ignorance. And that's the sign of true wisdom. Now, I have no idea whether or not that story is true. It's a great story, so I just thought I'd share it anyway, all right? But there's a really significant truth within that. See, as we focus in on Solomon this morning, we recognize that actually they were wrong, and that Solomon is, in fact, the wisest man who's ever lived. If they went to Sunday school, they'd know that. But if I was to give you one reason why Solomon was the wisest man who's ever lived, I would say it was his humility. Humility, that's that's the key for Solomon. That he knew without God, this kingship thing wasn't going to work. So in humility, he asked God for a wise and discerning heart. It's a really key word for us this morning. It's something that we're going to hit again and again is that word heart. You've got to understand that the Hebrew people had a very different understanding of the heart than we do from our modern perspective. And if we want to understand this passage rightly, then we're going to need to understand that word. Heart is significant for the Jewish people. It's the core of of who you are as a person. And in our passage this morning, Solomon asked God for a wise and discerning heart. Heart surgery. Do heart surgery on me, God. It's an amazing prayer that we're going to unpack together. But before we go any further, let's read our passage. I think Jeremy is going to read it for us in our second service. Go for it, brother. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. 
He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still still sacrificing at the high places because the temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given by him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in the place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice. I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honour, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings." And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands, as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke, and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. Fantastic. So we pick up our passage this morning with Solomon forming an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And it's easy to pass over that, but it's significant. And it just goes to show how much things had changed. Here is Pharaoh giving his daughter away to the very people who used to be their slaves. Just think about that for a second. It wasn't all that long ago. They were a nomadic tribe. They were wandering through the desert. They were completely insignificant on a global scale. And yet here is Pharaoh, king of one of the largest empires at that time, giving his daughter away to seal an alliance. It paints a picture of this thriving nation 
And they were politically relevant, economically fruitful. And we see that in all of Solomon's building programs. Building the temple, he's building the wall around Jerusalem, he's extending the city of Jerusalem itself. They were growing, they were strong, and it makes me think of that song from the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. That's kind of the picture that we're getting painted for us. Everything is awesome, except for this one little thing. Verse 2 says, The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because the temple had not yet been built. In fact, we're told that Solomon was worshipping at these high places as well. Now, for that to make sense, you have to understand that a high place is a technical term for a place of worship within Canaanite culture. That's the key, Canaanite culture. God had been so clear. I don't want you to absorb any of that into your worship. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 12, destroy every high place. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, get rid of their idols, of their gods, and wipe out their names from those places. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way. And yet here they are, worshiping at these high places. Now on the one hand, they're worshiping Yahweh. They're not worshiping Baal or any of the other Canaanite gods, but it's this picture of incomplete worship. Something's just not quite right. In the midst of political and economic fruitfulness, Israel's worship was lagging behind. Not quite right. Not growing like everything else, which means that even here, right at the start of Solomon's story, we actually can see some cracks. Cracks that, that widen as his life goes on. And really for Solomon, worship was his undoing. But here and now, in the midst of these cracks that we see, we can also see the grace of God. Because nowhere in here, and this entire story, nowhere does God condemn Solomon. I mean, he could have. He had every right to. He'd been so clear, but he doesn't. He's incredibly gracious. He looked at Solomon and he saw someone who genuinely loved the Lord. Someone who earnestly walked in the instructions of his father David. And if you flip over to chapter 2, we can read what those instructions are. David is on his deathbed. He's chosen Solomon to be his successor. And these are his final words of wisdom. Be strong, act like a man. It's a good start. I like that. But then he goes on to say, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. These are David's final instructions to his son. Learn from me. You want this kingship thing to go well for you? Do this. And we're told by the writer that actually Solomon is walking in those instructions. That he listened to his father. In other words, despite the cracks, 
Despite the fact that not everything was the way that it was supposed to be, Solomon was a man who had a heart for God. And he humbled himself and walked in obedience, however imperfect that was. That he he was earnestly chasing after holiness. And because of that, he experienced God's blessing in his life. And we can see that blessing come to fruition in verse 4. As God encounters him and gives him this incredible offer. Verse 4 says this. The king, that is Solomon, went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices. For that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. And you have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made me your servant, king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? So we get to verse 4. Solomon has been king for about three or four years when he travels to Gibeon. And if we look in 2 Chronicles, it says that he brought Israel's entire leadership with him. So this is a significant moment in the life of the nation. There's two reasons why Solomon is there. And he wants to thank God for establishing his kingdom. That's something that's said in chapter 2 again and again and again. In other words, he's there to worship But he's also there to ask for God's blessing because he knows that without God, he can't do it. You can hear his father's voice ringing through his head. He goes to Gibeon, Israel's most important high place. which is a bit of an oxymoron because technically high places weren't supposed to exist. So there shouldn't be an important high place. You've got to understand, Gibeon is where the tabernacle was located at that time. The Ark of the Covenant was in Jerusalem, but the tabernacle was at Gibeon. In effect, there were two tabernacles existing at that time, which is, as we all know, not the way that God had planned it to be. The whole thing was a bit of a mess, but it's still the tabernacle. It's still holy. It literally means dwelling place or tent of meeting. So it makes sense that Solomon would go there to seek God. It's the tabernacle. He doesn't go empty-handed. He offers a thousand sacrifices. And even if that's hyperbole, it's this picture of extravagant worship that Solomon marks the beginning of his reign by prostrating himself before the king of kings. It's a wonderful image for us. And in that atmosphere of worship, something incredible happens. 
God encounters him in a dream, which is in and of itself significant. Doesn't happen all that often, but then he gives him a blank check. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. It's an invitation with a promise. It's literally a blank check and it fills your mind with possibilities. I mean, Solomon could have asked for anything. But what he does ask for tells us something about his heart. I wonder, I got thinking about this during the week. What would it tell me about my heart? What would you ask for if God gave you a blank check? I was thinking about this on Friday. Would I ask for money or a car that's air conditioning actually works? Be nice. Heading into summer. Australia's oppressive. Something went wrong. The sun is too close, I tell you. And sitting in that little red car, not looking forward to it. That wouldn't be a bad thing to ask. That's not sinful, is it? I just want air conditioning in my car. I thought about this for a while. I got past the car. I was like, get over yourself, Daniel. It's all right. What would I ask God for? Maybe I'd ask God to, to, to give us more kids, to give us a bigger family. That's something that only he can do. Maybe I'd ask him for revival. I mean, that's the spiritual thing to do, isn't it? I'm a pastor. Maybe I should be asking God for revival. There's so many things that popped into my mind. But what I realized really hard was that it was hard, really quickly, sorry, was that it was hard to move beyond myself. It was really hard. Realize how selfish I am. Reminds me of Aladdin. Everybody knows that movie, right? It's, It's a classic movie, Aladdin. Aladdin stumbles upon this magic lamp. He rubs it. I don't know why he rubs it, but he rubs it. And he finds there's a genie inside. And genie gives him three wishes. And there's a couple of stipulations around what he can wish for, right? But basically, Aladdin can wish for whatever he wants. And what does he ask for? A genie would make him a prince. There's a girl involved in love and whatever, but whatever. He asked for me, I had a prince, Okay. Later on in the movie, Jafar gets hold of the lamp and he asks Genie to make him a sultan so that he can rule on high. And then he asks Genie to make him the most powerful sorcerer in the world. And the last thing he asks for is that he would be made into an all-powerful genie. And I know it's just a kid's movie, right? But in a strange way, it captures the brokenness of the human heart. That most of us would struggle to look beyond the here and now. But Solomon sets his sights a little higher. He asks for something truly significant. And I think that's because of verse 6. I think verse 6 changes the way that he approaches this whole thing. He says, you've shown great kindness to my father David. And it's that word has said that Nick spoke about last week. That you established my father's kingdom. You fulfilled every promise. You were gracious and kind and faithful to him and have also been to me. That's what he says. You've been faithful to me. See, I think Solomon asked for wisdom instead of money or power or all the other things that instantly come to mind because he'd already taken hold of the thing in life that is greater than anything else. 
greatest treasure that we could possibly have in this life. He'd experienced and grabbed hold of the loving kindness, the hased of the Father. It changed him, changed his heart, satisfied his soul and freed him to look beyond himself and to look and to ask for something more. He experienced the hased, the, the loving kindness of the Father. He didn't need money. He didn't need power. He didn't need these things, even though he's probably already wealthy, right? He didn't need them. He's not chasing after them. His soul is satisfied. Experienced the hased, the loving kindness of God. And he praises God. I don't need that. Praises God for the kindness that he's shown both to him and his Father. And then he does something extraordinary. He confesses his inadequacy. He says, I'm only a child. I don't don't have the experience. I have no idea what I'm doing. God, I need you. It's a wonderful place to be, church. Just as an aside. Nothing to do with the rest of my sermon. Great place to be. A powerful place to be that we would say, I can't do this. God, I need you. The power that can happen in that place is we allow space for God to do what only he can do. Powerful. Someone could feel the weight of the responsibility. He's aware of it. These are God's chosen people, the product of his delight. And the sense is, I just don't want to mess this up. God's people that he's been faithful to that are now too numerous to count because he was faithful to the promise he gave to Abraham. God's people, I I don't want to mess this up. And so he prays this incredible prayer. He prays that God would give him a wise and discerning heart, that he might honor him and govern his people well. A wonderful prayer. This is how God responds to it in verse 10. It says, The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this, So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, you've not asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor. So that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. And Solomon awoke and realized it had been a dream and returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. And then he gave a feast for all his court because he'd heard from God and it changed everything. Verse 10 says that God was pleased with Solomon's request. And that actually means that it sounded beautiful to his ears. That's what that word means. Sounded beautiful to his ears. And I want to be really clear. It's not because those other things are wrong. There is nothing inherently evil about wealth. If there was, God wouldn't have blessed him with it later on. That's not what this is about. God was pleased with Solomon's prayer because it displayed humility and a genuine heart for others. He wanted to be wise for the sake of God's people. 
that he might rule well, that he might administer a government of truth and justice. And he knew that without God, he couldn't do that. So he asked for wisdom. It wasn't about him. It was about greater things. But here's the part that I don't want you to miss. I think this changes everything. In verse 9, when Solomon asked for a discerning heart, he actually asked for a heart that hears. That word is shema. It means to hear intelligently with the implication of obedience. That's what that word means. I couldn't believe that when I found it. I thought, geez, that's significant. And if we unpack that, Solomon is literally asking God to give him a heart that listens and obeys. That's what he's asking God for. It's a powerful prayer. It expresses absolute dependence upon God, humility. But there's a significant truth within that. You see, true wisdom isn't found in here. It's not about digging deeper in here. It's not about self-discovery. And it's definitely not found out there. The true wisdom is found in him alone. Which means it's when we open ourselves up to the king of kings that we allow wisdom to flood our hearts. You've got to remember, the heart was completely different for them than it is for us. It's such a bigger understanding of what the heart was. So really Solomon is asking God to pour wisdom into his heart his mind, his emotions and desires into the very core of who he is. God, may my heart hear, may my mind hear, may my emotions, my desires, may they hear, may they listen and obey. It's powerful. True wisdom is about listening. It's about humility. And obedience. That's why Solomon writes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. God, give me a heart that hears. This is where we see the generosity of God. We get to verse 12 and God says, I will do what you've asked. But really, he does so much more. He doesn't just give Solomon the wisdom that he needs to rule well. He makes him the wisest man who's ever lived. And then he goes on to give him the very things that he was pleased Solomon didn't ask for in the first place. What's the deal with that? He says, I'll give you wealth and honor. I'll make you the greatest king in the entire world. No one will match you in your lifetime." He didn't have to do that. He didn't. Answering his prayer would have been incredible, but he does so much more. He doesn't have to do that, but it's who he is. And he may not believe that because so many of us have a warped picture of God, but our Father longs to give us good things. He loves to bless us and to lead us into joy and into life. He's generous. He's kind and faithful and good. He takes no pleasure in disciplining us. He does it because he's committed to working for our good, our eternal good. So he will, if he has to. He'll humble us. He'll discipline us. He doesn't delight in that. 
He loves to bless, loves to lead us into joy. He continually invites us to step into relationship. He does greater things than we could possibly ask for or imagine. That's what Paul says. But we've got a part to play. And we can see that even here with Solomon. You get to verse 14, God says, I'll do that. I'll give you wisdom and I'll give you wealth and I'll give you honor. And then in verse 14, he says, and if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David, your father did, I will give you a long life. So here's what God's saying. If you want to walk in the fullness of my blessing, walk in obedience and keep my decrees, my commands. That's where the fullness of God's blessing is found. It takes us full circle. Because that's exactly what David, his father, told him. Solomon, listen to me. Learn from my life. Keep God's commands. Stay close to Yahweh. Because if you can just do that, you will prosper. Everywhere you go. And in all you do listen and obey and you will prosper I want to invite the the band to come back up and to lead us in worship here's my point for you this morning this is what I see in this passage we're talking about wisdom well the heart of wisdom is actually the heart it's the key But all this comes back to so much in this passage comes back to that word heart. Right at the start, Solomon acknowledges that God's blessing was upon his father because of his righteous and upright heart. Even Solomon could see that. And then even within himself, he he displays this incredibly soft heart, a humble heart, a heart for others. And then ultimately he prays that God would give him a heart that he is heart that listens and obeys. That's a prayer that each and every one of us could and should pray. That we would be a people whose hearts are attuned to the King of Kings. How powerful would that be? The transformation that would take place as we open ourselves up, our hearts up to God and allow Him to sit on the throne. God, give us hearts that hear. And true wisdom starts with humility and acknowledgement that actually I can't do this on my own. And that's really good news for me and you because all of us can do that. Brings us to our knees and says, Jesus, speak. Your servant is listening. That's true wisdom. God, give me a heart that hears. You know, the sad part of this story is that even though Solomon started so well, I mean, we look at him and in so many ways, he was the ideal king. The sad part is, it didn't last. The wisest man who ever lived allowed his heart to be lured away from God as he did the three things God expressly commanded all his kings not to do. Deuteronomy 17, God says to his kings, this is what he says, Don't hoard wives or horses or gold. And Solomon did all three, and he did it well. 
And ultimately it was his undoing because as he brought in these thousand wives, they brought in their gods and their idols with him and his heart got lured away from the Lord into all these other things. So at the end of his life, he resembled Pharaoh more than he did his own life, his own father, David. How sad is that? That he even introduces a slave labor to continue to build all of these projects. As the cycle has gone full swim, that God freed them from that, brought them into a new kingdom, a new way of life. He said, I'll be your king, just stick with me. And, and, and we come to the end of his life. And here he is, he resembles Pharaoh more than he does his own father, David. How incredibly sad. Strayed so far from the Lord. And it's this constant reminder to us that the human heart is broken. Fickle, deceitful above all things. And Ezekiel was right when he said, Our only hope is that God would remove our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. That he would fill us with his spirit and that he would save us from ourselves. So it brings us to Jesus and it brings us to the cross because that's us. I can't do this. I can't go through a day without screwing it all up. I desperately need Jesus. Without Jesus, we are nowhere. And I say grab hold of wisdom, but I'd say even more grab hold of Jesus. And I pray that he would give us hearts that hear, that we might walk in David's instructions and cling to our God. And because of that, that we might experience the fullness of life and joy and blessing that he so longs to give us. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before your word and it's just constant reminder to us that you are a good God. That you are faithful. That you pour out your loving kindness, your hesed upon us. We pray, Jesus, that it would satisfy our souls. That it would change us and that it would free us to pursue, like Solomon, the greater things. But we also recognize, Father, that just like Solomon, we can't do this. That we wander so quickly. And so we constantly reminded of just how much we need Jesus. We thank you for the cross, for grace and for mercy that you did or we couldn't. And you gave us what we couldn't possibly hope to purchase or do for ourselves. That you set us free. You gave us new hearts, hearts of flesh. Jeremiah says you wrote your laws on our hearts that you did, but we couldn't. And so we pray even again this morning, Jesus, continue to change us, that it is a lifelong process of surrender, where we allow you to change us more and more and more. We thank you for the cross, but we pray, Jesus, give us soft hearts, hearts that hear, changes more and more. We just want to stick close to you, our God and our King. We know there, there is life and blessings of Father. Help us to stick close to you. Give us hearts that hear. This we pray for in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. 
If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.